mentioned earlier about the challenges and there are some, we always know, I always say you're either in something, you just came, you're getting ready to go in, you're just in or you're getting ready to come out of a particular challenge. But I'm always encouraged when we read the scripture, particularly here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 where it says, he has made all things beautiful in its time. Now listen to the words here. He speaks of timing. He said there, the scripture early on in the first verse, there's a time for everything. There's a time for every purpose under the heaven. I won't be preaching that, but this particular verse I'm pulling out is striking from the whole of the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. He's made everything beautiful in its time. And that's always a paradox. How can you take ugly things? How can you take uh, bad experiences, things that rub you the wrong way, but yet within time beautify even those things? He has made everything beautiful. Everything. Now, we have to really look at the Scripture. He has made Everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, he has made everything beautiful. He beautifies everything in his own time. And then he helps us to understand how it happens. He also, he has placed eternity in their hearts. Now listen to how those two connect. He has made everything beautiful in its time, then he speaks of eternity. Then he speaks of eternity, that which is, that which transcends time. He said, we understand that within time we have experiences, and within time he beautifies all things, but he says, but he says he has placed within our hearts so that we see those things differently. We view those experiences from a different position or angle because of what he has imparted within our hearts. He says, so now, within your heart, you have embraced eternity. Within your hearts now, you have a perspective, not merely within time, but you have embraced eternity. In other words, you see, now eternity has no beginning and eternity has no end. We enter into eternity. You see, when we receive Jesus Christ, we enter into that which pre-existed, pre-existed us. We enter into eternity or eternal life. And then once we enter into eternal life, understand now our lives have no end. So he says he's made everything beautiful in his own time. Also he's placed eternity in their hearts. But then it says, except, now look at the exception clause, except that no one can find out the work of God, a work that God does from beginning to end. Now, let's tie that into what I read earlier. When we begin to look at what God is in the process of doing, but yet he lets us know that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. You can't see the fullness of what God is developing at any given time. God is in the process of developing something, listen to the word, that's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's going to, it's going to, uh, you see, when it develops, when we begin to see it develop, it will develop into something beautiful, but we're talking about right the here and now. The here and now. We can't see any beauty in it. We can't see it. So, so, so God is saying in essence, he said, so now our perspective, our, but our projection or perspective is that we can't see what God is doing. But because he has placed eternity in our hearts, there is a projection into the prophetic future. God says, we have hope. We can place our confidence in God even when we can't see from the beginning to the end of what God is doing. Are you still with me? Even though we can't see it, we can still trust God to develop whatever the situation is 
into something beautiful. I tell you, it excites me. I hope you get it like I'm getting it here. God is up to something. God is up to something great. He is up to something wonderful within your life. Even though you, at this given moment, can't fully see it. So what he does, he helps us to understand, as the scriptures read, early on it talks about, and we know all things work together for the good, to those who love the Lord or love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But now, let's qualify that. He qualifies this, or he qualifies the affirming statement by saying something early on in verse 9. He talks about if, if. He keeps making this word if. Look at verse 9. But you are not of the flesh, but in the spirit, if, and indeed, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Look at the qualifying statement. Look at the qualifying statement. You are not, this is not a blanket statement, but you are not of the flesh. But how do we qualify that? But in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now let's back up and let's reverse that. If the Spirit of God does not dwell within you, then you are of the flesh, but not of the Spirit. So it is really uh, challenging us. It, it is really saying to us that we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to receive the Holy Spirit. He says, but if you have received the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells in you, then we come to the place of understanding God's work within time to make all things beautiful, within time to make everything beautiful. Uh, in that, he eliminates all pretenders. You can act like you got it together. You can act as if you have, that you're really there and that and the rest. He said he eliminates pretenders and imposters by saying, if you indeed have, but if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, it says in verse, later on, he says, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you are not his. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you're not his. I don't care how much you pretend to be his, but without the Spirit, you're not his. Or in other words, or you do not belong to him. You're not his property. You, you, you see, some people think this whole thing of uh, you, you, uh, unification or, or, or generalizing the statement in relation to salvation that everybody's saved, everybody's going to heaven, everybody has all that God has promised, all that God has to offer. But here he says that there are those that do not have the Spirit. They do not have the Spirit. And he says, and since they do not have the Spirit of Christ. Now, I begin to think about this. It is the Spirit of Christ within me. Uh, he is called what? The Holy Spirit. He is called the Holy Spirit to make us holy. So in other words, to make us authentic, to make us genuine. So the Holy Spirit working in us is purging us, purifying us. He is cleansing us of all the residue that works against the life that he is actually uh, uh, play, imparting within us. He says, anything working against life, I'll show you that later on, anything working against the life that he has imparted to you, the life that he prescribes your life, the Holy Spirit is there working against that, purging you of all the residue that's contrary to your spiritual growth and development. So, so then he says, uh, in that, if, if you go to verse 10, he says, here's another if, here's another if. And if Christ is in you, now look at the purification, the body is dead because of sin. Let me help you understand what he means that the body is dead. It is saying death, deadness and death is manifesting in the body. Some people think, well, since I've received Christ, I have a spirit, I cannot sin, I cannot do this, I cannot do that, I can't. No, it is death manifesting within you. 
It is death manifesting. Let me help you understand it this way. It's like a person who has the sentence of death that's already been, uh, been determined. When a person goes to, uh, let's say, if you go to before the judge, you go before the jury, and they said that we sentence you to death, and then they, you go into this holding cell for however long it may take. It may be years, but now you're in a holding cell waiting on the penalty to be executed. You understand, even though you're walking down the hall, even though you're still animated, what they call that? Dead man walking. They said dead man walking. In other words, they call dead man walking. In other words, as far as society is concerned, even though the execution date has not come, because of the fact that you have the sentence of death that's already been determined in relation to your life, you're dead. It's as if you're already dead. It's just a matter of time before you're executed. So he is saying that when he says that you, the body is dead because of sin, it's really saying, in essence, that the gravitational pull of sin, the sin or I would put it this way. We call talk about the law of attraction. It is the law of attraction of sin that's producing death within me. In other words, it is saying in essence that I'm being drawn, I'm being attracted to that which produces death within me. I'm being attracted to death. You see, the thing that's happening, it, there's a pull. There's a pull that's keeping me at a place where I, in fact, here's how Paul put it when he talks about the things here in uh, Romans chapter 7, he about the things that I would, I do not do, the things I would not do, I do. And then he says, uh, he, he goes on in verse 13, he says, has then what is good become death to me? What is good? Now listen to what he's saying. That which I, that which I consider to be good, has it become death to me? He says, certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin, appear as sin, which produces death in me through what is good. So now, look what it's saying here. So now I'm taking my goodness, not just my badness, I'm taking my goodness now. The best I could do. I, I have bragging rights because of the fact that I do all these good things and I help all these people. And I'm, you say, I, I, I'm proud of the fact that I can help people and do things, and I'm a good person. And, like, and watch what he says here. He says to you that have become arrogant and proud in your righteousness. All of your righteousness is but as filthy rags. He says, so now, so, so the question that will come to the mind of a person that's doing good as he considered good to be is why even bother? Why even try to be good? Why even try to do things right? Because if I'm going to be judged wrong, as wrong, even though I'm trying to do good things, there's no sense in even trying. A lot of people do that. You see, and that's when people give up on God. I don't, why should I serve a God that's always judging me? There's nothing I can do to please Him. Now listen to me now. There's nothing I can do to please him. So I'm, I, I mean, you, you said st- I stopped smoking, I stopped drinking, I stopped running around with women, I stopped this, I stopped that, the other. So in other words, Lord, you ought to be glad to have me on your team because you finally got somebody that's better than those nasty acting people out there. And then the Lord says to you, he said, that which is good has become death to you. He said, in other words, your goodness, that which is good in your eyes, is still a part of the gravitational pull that's producing death within you. You see, your goodness, your goodness. So, so, so what do you, how can I do this? So I must be at a place where I can receive something that I do not have in and of myself. And, and I, I'm going to watch myself in my timing because I want you to see the significance 
of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That which is good is death to me. He said, he said how, how then? What is good become death to me? Certainly not. He said, but the sin involved in all of this. He said, the sin of pride, the sin of arrogance, the sin of thinking that you have it all together. It is not the fact that you did something right or you did something good, but the sin. You see how the devil does it? It's when you do the best you can, and then you think that you can do it independent of Christ. Then your good becomes death to you because the sin of pride, the sin of... You see, I've come to realize this over the years is that oftentimes when we finally think we have arrived, we finally gotten to where we think we ought to go and we ought to be, that we still come short of the glory of God because we cannot self-medicate ourselves. We cannot self-correct the error that resides within our lives. We need help because the wages of sin requires more than just good activity or good actions. The wages of sin requires death. It requires death. So now, anything that we prop up as being worthy of receiving uh, accolades from the Lord, the Lord judges it as sin. He said, I did good, but you sinned because you, this is how you thought of yourself. You sinned because, you see, so, so now, now that which is good become death to me. He said, he said, no, it is the sin of it, not the actions. Two people doing the same thing. One because he trusted the Lord and the other because he wants something to justify himself by. They both help people, but they came from two different places. Now, what happens? You say, well, look, the end justifies the means. No, it doesn't. He said, our labor must not be in and of ourselves. It is the Lord working in us and through us. He's doing the work. He said, it is sin which produces this death in me through what is good. He said, so now what happens? The more I come to realize that, it is sin that resides in me. The Lord wants us to go back and revisit what sin really is. Sin, hamartia, means missing the mark. There is a target. There is a goal. There is a purpose for your life. There's something that God has already predetermined for your life to become and for you to actually do. You see, God has, you, you see, God has already predetermined something for your life. And anything short of that is sin. Anything short of that. So when we think about it, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the problem is, without the law, we do not see sin as being sin. You see, we see the law, and, 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 and I just wrote an article, and in this article, I know it's going to be controversial, but I did it to become controversial because I talked about legalism and legalistic positions and postures taken on both sides of the argument. I talk, I'm talking about the, the conservative legalists, and I'm talking about the, the, the liberal legalists. But however you may, whatever you may judge, whatever standard you may judge things by, if you're dealing merely by law, and not understanding the, the, the grace of God and how God desires, how He judges things, how He measures things, not based upon what we do, but based upon what Christ has done, you miss it. So what He does here, He said, now what I want you to see here is that I want you to see that what God is doing, it is he wants it to appear as sin. He wants you to see sin as sin, whether you see it as good sin, whether you see it as intermediate sin, or whether you see it as bad sin, it's still sin. He says, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now you begin to see sin as being sinful. Sin actually contributes to more sin. 
The seed of sin grows within one's heart. Now, understand, we talk about death. It is not dead in the sense of inactivity, but rather it has been served the sentence of death, as I said earlier. It's appointed to die. Life, but then let's look at life now. Let's look at life, the life of God. Life and advancing in life takes place because of the Spirit. You see, he takes us, we see death to death, but now we see life to life. The life advancing in life because of the Spirit. Because what God does, we're declared righteous while righteousness is yet working within us. To say that you are declared righteous does not mean that you are righteous altogether, but the seed of righteousness is working within you. You see what I'm saying here? God, just like the seed of sin works within those that are sinful, the seed of righteousness is working within those who have the Holy Spirit. God is saying that I'm purifying you. I'm purifying your soul because you understand when you were saved, your spirit was saved, but your, your, your soul was not saved. Your soul was not saved. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. You still have some stuff that God had to deal with. Even though in the realm of the Spirit you're saved, the Lord said, but I still got to work in you. I have to renew your mind. I have to deal with you so that your behavior, you see, your behavior is the motivation, the thing that drives you, you see. The motive for your doing a particular thing has shifted. I do what I do because I realize that I don't have the strength to do what I need to do but I must become perpetually dependent upon the Lord. So life, advancing in life, it, it is really the Spirit of God, uh, the Spirit of God working in me. So, so understand, uh, uh, we're declared righteous while righteousness is working within you. So now, let's look at us as individuals. I want you to know, people, the uniqueness of each individual that's in the body of Christ. You are unique. God has a, you're special to God. There's something that God wants to do, and it can only be done the way God wants it to be done through you. You see, there's an assignment God has given you particularly. You see, so, so he is saying, so he is saying, I'm going to make everything beautiful in its own time. I, I, I will, that will be, it will be balanced proportionally to bring out the beauty of migration. What he's really saying here, he said, your experiences in life, your experience in life, he said, it is to bring out something beautiful within your life. Everything that happens, it is the life of a believer. He talks about the life, he speaks of the life of a believer. What does he say here? Going back to the scripture, and we know that all things work together for the good to those who, first of all, love God. Those who love God. Now, let's look at that. All things work together for those who love God. Now, how many of you love God? How many of you love God? You see, now, now, now here's the challenge that we have. When God says love, he speaks from the immediate, the intermediate, and the ultimate. Are you hearing me now? He speaks from the immediate, the intermediate, and the ultimate. When he said, when I say I love God, I love you based upon what I know love to be. I love you based upon my knowledge of you and my knowledge of love. Now, watch what happens. So now, based upon what I know of you, but understand, now from God's perspective, he receives that. He receives that. He said, he said I receive your love based upon your perspective of love, but 
Your love, based upon your perspective, is yet incomplete if it remains as it currently is. Are you here? The seed of love is placed. I'm going back to what we said earlier. The seed of, 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 of uh, life, the seed of death. Now we see love. He said, I have placed love within your heart. So you love me based upon your understanding of love. But then Paul keeps saying, I want you to know the love of God. I want you to know the height the depth, the breadth, and the width of my love. I want you to know this love that passes knowledge. He said, so what happens, your perspective of love is not enough to justify you. It's not enough. You cannot maintain that level and think that God would be pleased if you love him like you loved him when you first started walking with him. Are you hearing me? Because God has some things that he has to say to you and he has already preordained various experiences that you're to go through. I'm headed somewhere in here. There are some things you're going to have to go through. He said, you say you love me based upon your knowledge of love, but you ain't going through anything yet. <laughs> you're not going through anything yet. So you love me based upon the fact that I, I, I gave you a good job. You love me because you got a house to live in. You love me because I, I gave you a husband, a wife, or whatever. He said, he says, so now you love me based upon your knowledge of love, but if that's all you have to offer, and you start bragging about how much I love the Lord, oh, I love you so much, I love you so much, Lord, there's no way. I don't care what anybody say, you know I love you. The Lord said, no. He said, now you're getting ready to experience some things. And when you go into those experiences, I'm going to ask you a question. What question? Is it a new question? No. I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked you beforehand. He didn't say, do you still love me? He said, do you love me? Do you love me? And then you begin to say, Lord, I love you based upon what I knew. But there's a question as to whether I still love you based upon what I'm currently, what I'm currently knowing about you. You see. And the Lord said, you, let me tell you something. He said, let me tell you something. The seed, you need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit sees the end before the beginning and everything in between. When he places a seed of love within your heart, he has already factored in every experience that you're to have in life. Every experience has been factored in. Everything that you have gone, gone through and is going through has already been factored in. And when you say, I love you, Lord, I have the love of God within my heart. What God is saying, he said that love can, is strong enough. That love that I place, the seed of love is strong enough to grow into whatever is necessary to keep you firm and solid, regardless of whatever situation or circumstance you may find yourself in. He says, so now, look at what he says here. Uh, uh, because we are saved, we're talking about the life. Uh, he said, it is a life within the believer. That life advances in life because the Spirit de declares, right, uh, declares while we are righteous, he is yet working within us. But let me show you something about this love here. You can't control what's happening in the world. The world is doing all kinds of stuff going on in the world. Things are happening all around you. They're happening. See, there are unchangeable situations and circumstances. When things happen, regardless of what happens, you can't change the world. You can't control the world. But you can have an anchor, uh, an anchor in your soul, something that can hold you together when things begin to happen. The Scripture here in, in uh, uh, the same uh, chapter, 8th chapter, and the 35th uh, verse, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, he says that because he is saying, in essence, there's going to be some things that's going to try to pull you away. There's going to be some situations that's going to try to pull you away. So then he began to name them. He says, shall tribulation. Now, now, now let, let me, let me, let, let's have an interactive experience right here. Because I want you to think about each thing I call out, and I want you to answer as to whether this can separate you from the love of Christ. Now, understand, we're talking about the love, and now you're doing an assessment based upon experience. He says, shall tribulation? I heard some quiet. I, I, I heard some. <laughs> shall, shall, you said, you, you didn't tell me. I, I, I mean, the quietness was so <laughs> overwhelming. I said, uh, now somebody ain't saying something. <laughs> Shall tribulate. You say, wait a minute now, I'm saved. You mean to tell me I got to tribulate? <laughs> I thought when I got saved that I had escaped all tribulation. I thought I had a pass. They tribulate. I don't have to tribulate. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Now, let's go back. It takes the Spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit to say, yes. I mentioned before, when you get married, what do you do? You stand before the preacher. You take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife, to love and to have in the whole for the rest of your life through sickness and health, through the good times and bad times, the rest of your life. And what do you say, man? I'll think about it. <laughs> or uh, uh, vice versa. Do you take him to be your lawful wed husband? Sickness and in health, good times, bad times. Regardless of what happens, regardless of what goes on, for the rest of your lives? <laughs> Let me just tell you, I had one situation, and I can talk about it now because years past, you won't know what I'm talking about. But uh, I had one situation where a person said, uh, you know, I, I really love her. And the guy said, I really love him. He said, we, we pray together and uh, oh man, when, when the spirit, I hear the word of God and the word makes such a difference in our life. We just feel so connected spiritually. We think, and then, I, then I, I watched him, and I said, uh, let me ask you something. I said, if you get married, I said, he is Adam, and you Eve, you Tarzan, she Jane. I said, let me tell you something. It is saying that emotionally and physically, you are bound to each other for the rest of your lives. Can you see him as your lover? No, I asked him first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, now, do you see him as your lover? She looked him up and down. She dropped her head. And he began to cry. He began to cry. I said, it's better to find out now. And to find out later, because if you got married, she wouldn't want you to even touch her. That's obvious, because she don't see you that way. So, listen to what we're saying here. When we say yes to the Lord, shall, now we go back, shall tribulation, same God that we love, will allow us to go through things. Do you love me even though I will permit you to go through some things that's not so comfortable? When we say yes to the Lord... You say, yes. Uh, uh, or distress, pressure, or per uh, persecution, or famine. Wait, uh, my God shall supply all my needs. Or famine. Suppose he didn't. Or nakedness. Oh, it's getting deep now. Or peril. Or sword. And then we go back into Scripture. He says, as it's written, for your sake... For your sake, Lord, for your sake. 
Now, understand, he's quoting Old Scripture, Old Testament Scripture, but he's bringing it to the New Testament environment. He said, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter, which meant that you will have enemies, those that would desire to kill you. He said, but yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So now we go back and revisit that statement. I love him because he first loved me. But now, Lord, if you loved me, look like you would protect me from the challenges that I face from day to day. So, so now, as we come to understand this, we, there are some things that God is teaching us. We said the seed of love being planted in our hearts, and that seed develops and grows so that when circumstances come, that love is strong enough to withstand the pressure that's brought to bear against it. And that's what we talk about. Now, if you can't take a little bit of stuff, you best believe you're not ready for the Lord's stuff. Each time, what God is doing, he's preparing you. He has placed eternity in your hearts, and he's preparing you for eternity. Your uniqueness for all eternity is what God in this hour is preparing you for. You see, I don't know what any of you are going to look like in eternity, but I can see what you're going through in time. And if I understand that what you're going through in time is preparation for eternity, then I can say your future is glorious. Your future is glorious because God is entrusting you to go through these particular things in preparation for what he has prepared for you or preparing for you. So now, here's what uh, Paul again, Paul speaks in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, when he talks about uh, uh, his own situation, giving and receiving, he said, in verse 11, he said, not that I speak in regard of need, I don't speak about need, for I have learned, wait a minute now, I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. How did you learn it? How did you learn it, Paul? By experiencing it. I learned it as a result of what I'd gone through. I've learned to be content. I've learned. You see, what, what happens? It is saying, in essence, I do not respond or react to situations the way I used to respond or react to them. Because what God is doing, he is testing your deadness. Are you really dead to those particular things? Now, I know what I'm talking about here. Are you really dead to those things? So that you can, you're still functional, or will those things cause you to be dysfunctional, or will they paralyze you when a particular thing occurs? Now, understand, he says, I've learned to, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. He said, I know how to be abased. I know how to go low. And I know how to go high. Now watch, some people can handle lowness, but a whole lot of folk can't handle being high. He said, if I'm on the top, I know how to handle it. I can still love God even on the top. I will not let the, the, all of my successes to, to, to rule over me so that now it's a matter of trying to maintain or preserve that particular status. But I know how to, how to also be abased, you see. He said, I, if I'm ignored and neglected, I'm okay with that. If I'm celebrated, I'm okay with that. He said, everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, that's important to understand this. You see, to be full and to be hungry, can you handle hunger? Can you handle being full? You see, that's why I said, uh, Lord, Lord uh, give me that portion that's allotted to me. He said, don't make me too rich. I'll get, too, I'll, I'll get beside myself. Don't make me poor. I'll curse you. He said, give me that portion that's allotted to me. But he said, can you handle being full? Can you handle being hungry? Can you handle abounding? Can you handle suffering need? And then he says, and people take this totally out of context, I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. Where is the strength? The strength to suffer, the strength to abound, the strength to handle whatever situation. In other words, listen, here's how God showed it to me. He provides the strength when the strength is necessary. When the strength is required, the strength is provided. Are you hearing this now? See, I couldn't handle it until I needed to handle it. <laughs> I, couldn't ha- I couldn't deal with that until I had to deal with it. <laughs> and I said, Lord, I, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for this. But the Lord said, but it's happened still, and I want you to still be the person that I call you to be, regardless of what you have to go through. That's what God is saying. And I, I believe that's why the songs were being sung today and, and, and scriptures read, because God wants you to know that. He is saying there's some things that you, you, you're going through, some things that you're having to encounter. And the Lord says, you realize that when you said yes to the Lord and when you received the Holy Spirit, the seed to handle all of these things were placed within you. You see, you're not being detached from the situation. You're not going to be so aloof that you don't act like nothing is happening. You don't be in a place where you become a hermit and you just kind of hide your head in the sand and say, well, nothing is going on. I'm fine. No. These experiences still hurt. You still, you see, they're still painful. They're still painful. But, but, but let me help you understand something. But when you're hurting... And when you're in pain, you are further identifying with the sufferings of Christ. That's what you're doing. The Lord will allow you to go. You you see, the thing that is happening, the Lord is saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. I want you to know, I want you to know me, all the various aspects of who I am. I want you to know that, that I want you to know the, 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 yeah, the power of the resurrection. But I also want you to know the fellowship of my suffering. So that now, watch the seed of death, so that you can be made conformable to his death. So that the reward on the other end, that by any means you may attain to the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. So, so Paul is saying, he says, so we're in training. Now, now there are competing forces, forces uh, that work against us, and I'm almost done. And one of those forces, as we begin to look at it, you know the story of, of Job. Job. Job, I'm telling you, Job went through some stuff. He went through some stuff. After being rich and wealthy and having all this, everything taken away from him. And then his wife shows up and said, Job, why did you just go on and curse God so you can die? That's what he's saying. So you're going to die. Just go and curse God. Just go and curse him because you're still holding on to God that's not doing anything for you. Just go and curse him. Just go on and curse him so you can die. He said, because he's keeping you alive in your miserable state of existence. If I could just, suicide, you see, people think that death is, I, I'll die now. If I could just uh, get past God, I'll die. To think of suicide is cessation of existence. No, when you curse God, when you curse God, yes, you'll die. You'll surely die. In dying, you shall die. <laughs> so there's a death that's much deeper than you realize. So now, what happens, he said, just go and curse him, go and die. But, but then Job had to hold on to God regardless of what he's going through. He said, told his wife, you talk like a foolish woman. <laughs> you talk like a foolish woman. You, 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 you're my wife, but you ain't talking like a wife ought to talk. <laughs> you're talking like a foolish woman. And, and, and Job held on, and you know the rest of the story, things were restored to him. Uh, more so than that which was lost. So now, let's close out. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Listen to this now. See, let's go, let's go all the way from the beginning. And we know that all things, how? Work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are the call according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, foreknew, the foreknowledge of God, 
he also predestined. You have to look at both of those working together. Those, he, he has full knowledge of who you are before your beginning and past your end as far as death is concerned. But he also knows his purpose, the purpose that has your life. He has predestined. He foreknew you. He knew that what he has placed within you is sufficient for the journey. You see that? What he has placed within you, he foreknew you. He knew the day that you accept Christ. He knew the, accept, the day that you accept Christ. Now, now, I'm not saying, now we talk about those he foreknew, he has predestined. Yes, God has knowledge of everybody that's going to get saved. But, but you see, when you get this thing of, of, of Calvinism and Arminianism, people get these arguments as to uh, how do you handle that. Yes, he has knowledge of who's going to be saved, but he does not determine the decision that you're to make in relation to receiving him. You see, that is still your, you have to receive him. You receive him. As many as receive him, he gave power to become children of God. So with that, uh, uh, we understand that he predestined you. Now, when he said the predestined, he is saying, once you receive Christ, your life has been ordered. Once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, your life has, you see, where Christ is going, if you're in him, you're going where he's going. You see, if you in him, if you're in Christ, if I'm on the plane, I'm going where the plane is about to land. I get a ticket for Chicago, I'm going to end up in Chicago if I stay on the plane. <clears throat> now, let's look at this. He predestined, he formally predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He said, so now watch what he's doing here. All of life, all of your experiences are there to conform you so you start looking like Jesus. So you look like Jesus. He said, we don't know how we should be, but we also don't know how he is. But we know this, that when he appears, when we see him as he is, we will be like him. Isn't that something? We will be like him. So he conformed his image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. We see justification. And whom he justified, he also glorified. So, so the ultimate is glorification. You see, we begin to see the call predestined, the called being justified, and ultimately glorified. The day will come when the glories of the Son, we will receive what the Son has received because we are with Him, in Him, and we will be like Him. So God sees all of that, but each and every one of your paths, the journey to get you there, God has already predetermined. It doesn't shock God that the things that you go through, that you must go through, because of your uniqueness. He said, the place that you will occupy, the place of prominence that you will occupy requires all of the experiences, I would say, the tensions, the, the pushback that you receive in this life. I'm not talking about things you, 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 you do on your own. I'm not talking about the stuff that you do that working against the Lord. We talk about the, the things that work against you, the competing forces that are there to hinder you. He said, you become more than conquerors as you overcome those obstacles that you face in life. All of those times that you overcome those obstacles is all there to prepare you for something that God has already seen he has already predestined for your life. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. I'm excited for what God sees. I have to trust him. I said, Lord, it's, uh, I like what you said, Brother, brother uh, Comus, that when God is so big, the Nigerian, they call him, he's big old. 
God is so big that our perception of him is based on what we see. That's all we can see. That's all we can see of him. So I love you based on what I see of you. But then the Lord expands. He says, through your developing, I'm going to show you that I'm bigger than your problem. I'm bigger than your circumstance. You see, so every time you go through something, guess what? Our perception of the Lord increases. Lord, I didn't know you were that big. Let me tell you something. I'm bigger than that. <laughs> you wait until I show you how big I really am. The problem is big. I'm bigger than your problem. Whatever that problem may be, I'm bigger than your problem. I'm bigger than your situation. I'm bigger than your circumstances. I'm big. He said, that's why some folk can't believe him. They can't believe him because he's so big. How much of the world do we see? I see the sky, and I see a star that's way up there. It's about this small. <laughs> that star about this small. I mean, that small sky is smaller than that little rock that I'm looking at until I get closer. <laughs> the, clo the further I go up, the larger that little thing becomes. And then if I go high enough, that little thing is bigger than the earth. <laughs> it's bigger. You say, it's bigger than all and everything I've ever seen. Then I come to realize that's not only stop there. There's a whole lot of stars up here. And all of those stars are bigger, some of them larger than that star. You see, they're larger stars. And then I have to go pull all the way back and say, God created all this stuff. So how big is God? He's larger than all of his creation. He's larger than all the things that are discovered, have been discovered and yet being discovered. That's why it's hard for a little finite creature to believe in him. Because he's too big for our finite minds to wrap around all that he is and all that he has for us. So, Father, my prayer is that we would trust in a God that we cannot fully see, that we'll place our confidence in that which is greater than all that we see and that we can imagine, knowing that a great God, a majestic God, has us in mind. And he's the one, you're the one, that has our future in your hands. So we trust you with our lives. We give you the honor, we give you the praise, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.